God is very much in love with me. He's not just, he doesn't just love me. He's in love. He's in love. You know, you see goo-goo-eyed people that get in love. Hopefully you keep seeing them and they stay in love. That, it, it, can be pretty, it can be pretty wrecking to see people that get in love. They just, yeah, it's just practically obnoxious. They just like, they just want to talk to each other and look at each other and, yeah, and go out together and don't want to be with anybody else. Love's an amazing thing. Uh, it's quite the mystery. But we have to have it. We function in it. Look what the Word of God says in chapter 4. Let's look in verse 7. Remember the song before we do that. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. I'd sing it, but then we'd have to have a healing line. So we'll. <laughs> Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Verse 7 says, Beloved, let us love one another. Wonder why he had to say that. Yeah. You gotta be instructed to, to love one another. For God for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. God is love. God is love. In this was manifested or revealed the love of God toward us because God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Praise God. Well, the word says, the Bible says, no matter how you felt, no matter what your experience, no matter what you've seen with other people, the word says that God loves you like nobody else. How can he have a favorite for all of us? We know that's not possible down here with us. We have favorites and they are our favorite. Although you get grandma and she'll teach one of her kids, she'll tell every one of them, you're my favorite. Not together, but individually, she'll say, you're my favorite. But that's the way the Lord is. He thinks you're his favorite. And that's the one thing the world doesn't have. They don't have a revelation that God loves me. Because they expect if God loves me, that he'll come and he'll speak to their hearts. But he does when you become his. So the Lord tells me who I am. He said, I'm a son. He made me a son. I'm not just somebody down here. I became a son. And he knows me and he loves me. It's, it's interesting that before you get Jesus, I know I was this way. It's real easy to look at that and be critical of it and say, when you don't have it, it's hard to see it. But then once you get saved, once you get born again, once you receive Jesus, you look back on it and say, well, I should have seen it. It's so easy. Once you see it, you see it. And before you see it, you can't see it. So here he says in verse uh, seven, beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God. And then everyone that loveth 
Everyone that loveth is with the God kind of love, unconditional love, not just uh, I, love, I scratch your back, you scratch mine. He said, for, for love is of God and everyone that loveth is born of God. So he's saying here that until you're born of God, you really can't have that level or that intention of love that God has. And then he says, and knoweth God. So if you're, there's two things. You're, you're, you're born of God and then you know God. So it would be possible to know God or be born of God and not know God. Have y'all ever been in that place where you learned something or you gained something that you didn't have and suddenly you go, I, I could have known that. I'm born of God, but I didn't know that from God. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 3, please. Ephesians chapter 3. God loves me just like I am and just where I am. He loves me so much. He's not waiting on me to get better. He's not waiting on me to do good, to love me. That's, that's the kind of love that says you love me and I'll love you. Until you love me, I won't love you. He loves up front, whether we love him, ever love him or not. It says in uh, verse uh, 16, talking about the love of God, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. Y'all know what that is? When he strengthens you by his might in your inner man? It's not really measurable, but you know when you have it. You know when you should be afraid. You know when the storm is coming and you should run for cover that he strengthens you by his might. One thing that happened at the advance is that uh, the first night we were there, we were gathering ourselves up and there was a storm warning that came. Barry was getting all sorts of what do you call those alerts or whatever on his phone for the University of Columbus, Mississippi. And uh, and the sirens were going off at the camp. Yeah, it was quite a big deal. And there was a lot of nasty stuff in the sky. So we did what Jesus did. He said, do what I do. So remember that time when he's in the middle of the lake and he spoke to the storm? They were all scared out of their minds and he he said, peace be still, and the storm quit. So we did. We just stood together and turned to the clouds and said, peace be still. Then Lynn saw later on his telephone the weather composite, and it showed right where we were. Y'all know how your phone, I have a blue dot that, right. that does that. And this thing, the history of it, he showed the history of it, the thing was coming right, it was a blob about that big in a, in a city about this big and, you know, I'm on a phone. And it was coming, it was heading kind of a east, northeast. It was heading across there. And suddenly the thing, you could, you could watch it in, in time, it just split and it went around that blue beacon where we were. It went around it. And then, I don't know what it did after that. I don't know if it went back together or it went back together. Well, that's even more amazing. But it did. It went around us and it just sprinkled a little bit there. But there were sirens going off everywhere. 
Yeah, Lynn's Lin, got it recorded on his phone. We, we actually saw it. It absolutely went around. So people go, ah, that's just coincidence. Well, we have squall lines coming across Mississippi, Louisiana, Mississippi, like all the time. And they're, you know, you've, you've watched them. They're red and yellow, and they're coming across there, and they've got red cells and hooks and all the stuff that they talk about. But we've seen it several times for Tuscaloosa, and we've seen it a couple of times about Columbus, Mississippi. The Smiths live in Columbus, of course, and we'll just see that thing. We speak to it first. God loves us. And part of God loving us is just like what we would do if we had children or relatives or whatever. We, we would go to protect them or shelter them or whatever. We, we'd get in the cellar or we'd get under the middle bedroom in the house with the least wind. All those things that you know to do. But we, we just do that to the storm. Just speak to it. It's amazing. I mean, it's, it's amazing, but then after you do it a whole bunch of times, it's still amazing. But you go like, okay, somebody's got to take out the trash. And so you take out the trash, and the trash has been taken out. And someone's like, someone's got to speak to the storm. And so we speak to it, and then it does its thing. It goes around. Uh, we, we've just never been hit. Well, after you get that going for a while, and you see it in the Bible, you see it in the Word, and then after you get that going for a while, and it happens every time that you do it, it gets to be a part of your pattern, part of your life. Are you all with me this morning? And there's a lot of other things, but that's what I was thinking about because of this weekend. And a lot of people were there, were amazed because it was a, it was a naughty looking cloud. It was, it was gnarly and it was, the sirens were, it wasn't just us. Thank you, Lord Jesus. So it's not just about missing hell. Getting saved, getting Jesus is not just about missing hell. Praise God, we don't have to go to hell. But it's about living a life down here on this side of this, of the eternity. Where was I? Verse 16. That he would grant to you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. So we just, we just all got together and just said, this is what we're going to have based on what the Bible says. So we're strengthened that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. Dwell. Live in your heart. That God would live in a man's heart. Well, how can you prove that? Well, you, you can't actually photograph it. It's not something you can x-ray and say, yeah, he's over here under the left lung. And he's, oh, now he's over there behind the pancreas. No, it's not that sort of thing. He's in the spirit man of, that we are. That ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth, the length, the depth, and the height that you could measure the love of Christ. He said, and to know the love of Christ that you could measure it. How does it measure? Which passes knowledge. You can't understand with your head all that God is. Everybody wants to understand. Well, explain it to me how it works. Well, we can and we can say we experienced it. 
I was a nervous wreck. I was this. I was that. I was addicted to this. And I was always doing that. And I asked God into my life. I asked the Lord Jesus into my life. And suddenly I can't explain it. It's past my knowledge. It's past how I can explain it. But it changed. I changed. And I was different. And he's like, well, you're you're on drugs or you got off of drugs or you you, you what? No, it's not that it's it's past knowledge, but you get it. And he said, and that she might be filled with all the fullness of God. Verse 20 now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ask or think. Thank you, Lord. It's not just my understanding. It's not my intellect. It's not what I can figure out. It's not reasoning. It's not an equation. It's not something you can map out, although you can map it out. You can say, like she was reading this morning, the testimony, you can say it was this way and then the Lord moved and then it was it's, it became this way. The, it's all right there. Uh, so there's no such thing as a mean Christian. And you go, yeah, yeah, there is. Well, they're not, the word mean is not right. It's that they're inexperienced. If we all were experienced with the love of God, we would act different. But we don't know that we're loved. We think God might be mad at us. That's what the world teaches. That's what religion teaches. That's how I was raised. I was raised in the church that said, if bad things happen, it's because God's mad at you. And straighten it up and fix it and turn around and don't do that anymore. And then your life will be better. Well, that wasn't true. It wasn't in the Bible. But it just made sense. And so we all said, okay. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. So he's got you. He's got your backside. He's got your front side. So if you ask anybody, hey, anybody, why are you not in church? And there's a gazillion people that aren't in church. And we've all been there where we weren't in church. But if you, if you ask them, hey, sir, why are, why are you not in church? Ma'am, why are you not in church? They are quick. They have an answer. And they're not blaming a biker club. They're not blaming a Satanist or, the, or a... a uh, uh, an angry man or, or whatever. Every time somebody says, I'm not in church, they'll tell you it's because of a Christian. They'll tell you. They claim to know God. They claim to have God. They claim they're in church all the time. They tote their Bible around. And yet they're the meanest people I know. And I can tell you, everybody's got a preacher experience, a, uh, an elder experience, a trustee experience, a uh, bishop, whatever, whatever, however Christians dress up. Mean, mean, I mean, hypocrite. Yeah, buddy. On the, on the take, on the sly, on the, under the table. Yeah, we expect the world, we expect those people to do that. That's what we watch movies about or used to. Is all the things that people do in the world. But we expect Christians to get it straight. But they don't. And you say, why, why don't they get it straight? What is missing in their life 
that they say they're Christians. They say they go to church. They say they live by the Bible. But they're mean as hell. They're 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 double minded. They're ubiquitous. They're they're off the wall. We hold them Christians to a higher standard. And so there's the expectation that you say you're a Christian, you say you're born again, you say you love God, but you're just like me. And so then the next phrase, phrase that they would say is, why should I be like you when I don't think you're any different than me already? Isn't that a fair question or a queer? I, I think it is. It's because they don't know the love of God. They escaped hell. Me and Jesus are tight. We're good. And he saved me from going to hell. I know when I received Jesus, that was the main thing that they got me into the kingdom. They said, son, do you want to give your heart to God and miss hell? You're going to hell. You're going to hell. You're going to hell. You are going to hell. I said, I don't want to go to hell. And they said, well, you've got to ask Jesus into your heart. You've got to ask God to come into your life. And so I did. Who wants to go to hell? I didn't. Nobody does. I mean, if you give them a choice and just say A or B, door, door on the left, door on the right, they're going to say, which one's not hell? And, and I want to go to that one. And so you don't change on the inside just because you didn't want to go to hell. You change on the inside because you let the love of God come in. You invite the love of God in, which is something we don't have. We've got, we've got brotherly love. Hey, if you'll loan me $20, I'll give you $20 back and I'll fix your lawnmower. That sort of thing where it's, it's a trade-off. It's, it's pro bono. No, no, not pro bono. The other bono. <laughs> the unbono. <laughs> the, yeah, the Sonny and Cher bono. It's, 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 it's you scratch my back and I'll scratch you. And so that's, that's what's going on in the world. But that's not me. Amen. I mean, it's, it's what they say they are, but that's not, that's not what happened. And here's the key. We, we always talk about this. You're not born again. You're not saved until you're saved. So it doesn't matter what label you stick on. It doesn't matter what affiliation you say. It doesn't matter what you say you want to happen. Until it happens and until it transacts in, in you, it didn't happen. So a close call is like no call at all. I almost got Jesus. I almost got God into my life. You're a thousand miles away. Until it happens, it didn't happen. And so God's, the word's telling us here what happens, how you can know when it's happened. How you can know it's genuine, it's real. And when it is, then you act different and you live different than before you received the Lord. Y'all are looking at me like, what is he saying? Hallelujah. Where, where am I? I'm here somewhere. So they, they, don't, they don't blame. 
They don't blame the world. They don't blame mean people for why they don't receive the Lord and don't and don't want to be a Christian. They blame Christians. And I'm telling you, it's a rough bunch. It's because we hold them to a higher standard. We say, well, you say you are, but you don't act like anything different than me. And it's not right. It's not right. But we can't change them. We can't say they're terrible people and we're good people. What can we do? We can just act like what really happened, happened. And let the love of God shine through us like it did to us. The Lord, said, the Lord Jesus said, I love you as much as God the Father loves me. That's how much I love you. Well, Lord, that's a lot of love. The Father loves Jesus like mucho. A lot. You know, like all the way. And the Lord turns around to you while you're still not with him and says, that's how much I love you. Well, that's what we saw in Ephesians right there where he says, you can't get your head around it. You, you can't say, I understand that. Yeah, that makes perfect sense because it doesn't. Why would he love me? Why would he care about me? It's called the God kind of love. It doesn't make sense. For someone to say, I'm going to I'm going to do something for you. And if you never do something back to me, I'm still good with it. it there's no deal in it. There's no tradesies. There's no bargaining. He said, I'm just that's what I am. I'm God and I love you because I love you. And that's the way we understand that as parents. We understand that when we have a child, they don't know who's holding them. They don't know who's, what, if they're a boy or a girl or what their last name is. or They don't know. They just know I am hungry and I'm going to scream my head off until someone brings me some, some, some whittles. So mean Christians are just inexperienced in love. They don't know. Listen, they don't know that God loves them. That's the whole equation right there. They are born of God, but they don't know that. So they think, they think that when bad things happen, they deserve punishment. Because that's what we're all taught, that we're all raised. If you, if you go in the backyard or if, if, you, if you drink out of the milk jug in the refrigerator and I catch you, there's going to be thunder to pay. And so there they are. They got that thing turned up and you say, okay, you got to go to the bedroom. We're going to take care of this. We're used to that. Cause and effect. Mess up and get punishment. We're used to that. That's how men do. That's how we think. But it's not how God thinks. But it's how men think God thinks. And they're wrong. All we know about God, we don't know anything about God except what's in here. You may think, I, I know how it should be. I know how I want it to be. But that doesn't matter. It's how he says it is. So you and I don't know anything unless it's in the word. So we got to go to the word and find out what it is. Uh, let's go back to first John four. I should have had you put your finger in there. But first John back to first John. What does the Bible say? That's all. That's all we care about. Because, you know, I'm thinking about this all the time about little kids. They grow up and all they know about who they are is what people tell them. They weren't there at conception. I mean, 
knowledgeably. So they don't know who mama is and who father is until somebody holds them. But it, it could be that daddy's gone and he, they never know their father. It could be that, they, that, that their parents get killed, God forbid, but, and they're in an orphanage. So they don't know who their parents are. So they don't, kids don't know who they are until somebody tells them. You're mine, you're his, and your name is Johnny, and your last name is Black. Johnny Black. And that's who you are. And they, we accept it. But you don't know, really, unless Aunt Matilda comes around the corner and says, well, I know what they told you, but here's what really happened back when you were two years old. You were really somebody else's, and, and they left you, and so we took you in. We, we, and so you're really, we're not really your parents, but this is how it happened. And then you go, I didn't know. Well, how could you know at two years old? You only know what they told you. And nobody in here is exempt from that. No one had a knowledge before they were born or during their childhood. So in the same token, if God says, I birthed you when you asked me to come into your life, that's all we know is what the Bible says. Is that right? So, so you go, well, I don't feel that way. Well, who, who, who are the, the Johnsons and who are the Smiths and who are the Joneses that you go, I feel like I'm a Jones, but they say I'm a Smith or I'm a... No, you, you don't have a feeling. You don't have a corresponding attachment. It's like, when you, like we say, when you stand on the scales to take your temperature... I feel a little feverish. Let me get on the scales and see how it's doing. Oh, sure enough, a little warm. That's crazy. Same thing. You put a thermometer in your mouth and say, ooh, I need to lose a little. You go, that's not how you do that. And this is, we don't know who we are except from the word of God. We don't know. We have, you can't feel it. You can't think it. You can't figure it out. Because you don't know. You weren't there and you don't know how it works except in here. And so in 1 John 4, uh, verse 17, we, we were right there a while ago, should have stayed. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Oh, look, look, look. What does it say in the Bible? Because as he is, the Lord Jesus, as he is, so are we in this world. That's a birth certificate. That's a, that's a biography. Let me, you know, so your grandmother sits down with you and you're, you're eight years old. He said, well, she says, well, let me tell you about your family. Let me tell you how it happened. Well, we, you know, we, we used to be in Kentucky and we moved to Louisiana and then we this and we that. And they tell you your history. They tell you what happened. And, and this is your daddy. Here's a picture of your daddy right here. And you go, well, I never knew that. Yeah, this. And so your grandmother tells you. That's the same thing it is with us. We don't know. But the word of God says you, that we're just like Jesus. We're not Jesus, but we're like him. I can tell you my father, he's 91 and a half years old, and uh, I walk like him. Uh, I have lots and lots of attributes. I'm the firstborn, and uh, uh, they call me Little Walt, you know. I, 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 I kind of have a gait like him, and uh, my teeth are just like him, and just a lot of things. Kind of as Walt is, so am I in this world in the natural sense. And that's the way it is with God. And it's the way it is with Jesus. He, then in verse 18, he says, there is no fear in love. But perfect love, the God kind of love, 
casteth out fear. Because fear hath torment, he that feareth is not made perfect in love. I know some people, and I know you do too, that are very fearful. They're Christians. They're like, I love God. God loves me. But if a storm comes up, they lose their minds. Uh, I lived with somebody that uh, when we were first married, and uh, if a storm came up, she was packing baby bottles and diapers. I mean, it's like we're, we're fixing to go away for seven weeks and we need to be ready for, for 49 days. And we'd go down and park under the awning of the First Baptist Church. It was a flimsy little thing. You could have cooked, kicked one of the, the standards and the whole thing would have fell down. But we went under that because we were afraid of storms. Can you say deadly, deathly afraid? Well, he was along that line. You go, what's that? Well, he says here all fear is cast out by love. So if you know God loves you, the Bible says you're not afraid. Oh, so it must be that God in me thing. It must be that he changes me on the inside in a way that I don't even know and it doesn't make sense and I can't figure out. God's in me and he tells me through the word, through the Bible, he tells me, man, I love you. Well, if your mama tells you that she loves you when you're little, if your daddy says, son, I got you, I love you, then they're going to do everything they can to keep anything from happening to you. That shooting that was in Texas this week, they said that uh, they found some children. They, the adults had laid over them so that they would be protected from the shooter. I don't, you know, I don't know just what I read, but they said these, these adults went in there and just threw themselves on top of them to keep them from being shot. Well, that's what's inside of you. It's crazy. I mean, these weren't their kids. They weren't like, this is my nephew. This is my son. This is my grandson. They were just kids at the place and they threw their lives because they were Christians and they, they had something operating on the inside that was bigger than we better run for cover, every man for himself. But that's what they did. And that's what you would do. The message translation, verse 18, said, there is no room in love for fear. We're talking about God loves me just as I am. Well-formed love banishes fear. Since fear is crippling, a fearful life, fear of death, fear of judgment, is one not yet fully formed in love. So we know something we can't know out of our head, that every time I fear, I don't have a confidence that God will protect me and keep me and I will come out of this. Are y'all here this morning? That's what that means. You translate it. Well, why were you, why were we under the First Baptist Church awning? Because we were not perfected in love we weren't sure that God could keep us during this storm and it was run for your lives. 
And we did. It was a crazy time. But we were young in the Lord and we didn't know. We didn't know. We weren't taught that. We were taught, run for your lives. The, uh, the New Living Translation says, such love has no fear. Listen, because perfect love expels all fear. So how can you measure how confident you are in the love of God? Just measure fear. When you get fearless, we're like, the squall line's coming. The earthquake is here. Tornadoes are all around us. But no weapon formed against me will prosper. Well, how do you know that? Because God loves me. If he protects anybody, if he's going to help anybody, I'm in that crew. I'm in that line. I'm in that group. You go, that's, that's kind of arrogant. Well, I'm in the family of God. I signed up, not, not for protection and not to miss hell. I signed up because I, got, I became in love with him. He made me an offer. He said, I'm going to take you with me after this life. I said, I want that. It wasn't a fear of hell. I don't want to go to hell. I just said, I want to be with you. He said, well, I got a place for you. It's called heaven. And I said, well, it doesn't matter. I want to be where you are, Lord, because I love you. It wasn't a thing that says I have this kind of accommodations and hell's real hot, but I'm real good over here. It wasn't all those things. It was just I fell in love. So, you know, you shouldn't marry someone that says, hey, baby, I, I, I like you and I, I see you're real good. You make a lot of money. Let's get married so you can make me a lot of money. We'd go, that's crazy. And we'd say that won't last. But it happens all the time, doesn't it? No, we get married, theoretically, because I'm in love with you. I just can't explain it. It's more than I could ask or think. I'm in love with you, darling. And I, I don't care if you can make money. I don't care if, if, if one leg is short. I don't care. <laughs> I love you. And then you go, well, what's that all about? Well, if you can know that and if you can have a child and say, I love you. You hadn't, you hadn't done a thing for me, kid. Matter of fact, you're, you're hard on the budget. You're hard on my sleep. I, we, we ain't getting much of it. I'm missing a lot of work because of you. But we don't say, you know, pony up and let's, let's, let's get this deal equalized. We just say, hey, don't think about it. I got this. I love you and don't think about it. I got this. And we go, well, if we can experience that, how come we can't say that there's a God that's got that perfected? Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, listen, this is new living. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment. We're afraid God won't, he won't do the job. And this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. So people are afraid of a lot of things. There's people that are afraid of an encounter with God. You can go to the Old Testament and, and the Bible says that God came on Mount Sinai and the mountain quaked and thundered and all that. And they said, hey, we're not going next to the mountain. Send Moses in. So he went in. People are afraid of an encounter with God. I was always afraid of an encounter with God because I believed that if I ever said yes to the Lord Jesus, that he was going to put me in a white sheet. Why, why do we think missionaries are in white sheets? He's going to put me in a white sheet. There'd be a 
it'd be a queen size sheet and it'd have a hole cut out at the top for your neck and it'd have two holes on the side. I, I, it's crazy what kids do. And that he would ship me to Africa and I didn't want to go to Africa or Singapore or anywhere. And I was afraid to commit to the Lord. I was afraid to commit to the Lord because I thought if you said yes to Jesus, he's going to put this demand on you. That, that's how I, for years, that's how I thought. Uh, people are afraid of feeling, uh, of failing to meet the requirements. I might not be good enough. What if I'm rocking along and I, I have a wild hair and I go back to my old ways and, and, and God drops me. He, I can't stand the rejection. Therefore, I'm afraid of an encounter with God. They're afraid that, they're gonna, that they have a sin in their life that God can't forgive. This would be like abortion or, or uh, an accident that they were involved in where the neighbor's kid drowned in the pool and they, they all blame them or, or whatever. And then they just can't go to God and have an encounter with him because they think he won't forgive that. And then, then they're hopeless. They're afraid, to, uh, they're afraid that they'll not be forgiven for some things because they haven't forgiven some other people. Well, I can't forgive them. Therefore, I'm pretty sure God can't forgive me. And so they're afraid of an encounter with God. They're afraid uh, that because they've been hurt and rejected, that God will change his mind down the road and turn them loose. Well, you, you, you are my son, but after that little weekend, there's no more of that. So people are afraid of God for a lot of reasons, but that just means they don't know the love of God. They just don't know it. And, and maybe they were raised in a family and you, it's easy to be raised in a family where there was no love, where you, you, if you didn't do good, you were kicked around and punished and, and, and excluded. So we can see where the perfect love has lots of limitations. If it's not known, if you don't know how much God loves you, you could be afraid of God. Could y'all say amen this morning? So I wrote down here the mission of the church on the earth. This is the mission of the church on the earth. Number one, it's not to tell people about their sin. That is not the mission of the church. People know they're in sin. I've always known when I messed up, I knew it. I didn't need somebody wagging their finger in a sermon telling me, you people, you people that do this, you, you are sinners, you're bad. That's not the job of the church. That's the job of Holy Spirit. Uh, number two, our job in the church is not to fight the devil. Here's the, here's the key to that is the devil always picks a fight with you that Jesus has already won. He's, Jesus has already went toe to toe with the devil. The Bible says he was on the cross. He was laid in the tomb. He resurrected from the dead. Uh, excuse me. He went into the bowels of the earth and he had a face off with the devil. He defeated the devil, the Bible says, and he rose victorious for us, victorious. And so Jesus has already defeated the devil. He's already defeated the devil. Uh, the only reason we don't know that is because we don't believe that, but it's in, it's in the good book. And so the devil will try to tell you, you need to fight me because I'm fixing to take you out. 
So he picks a fight with us that Jesus has already won. So it's not our job to go to spiritual warfare. I don't mean that we don't resist the devil and resist sin, but our job is to love people. That is the job of the church is to love people with the love of God, which is unconditional, which is the same love that we've been loved with. Man, we mess up. Saints, we mess up. We mess up. We mess up. We are not perfect. When y'all get it, say yes, amen, amen. We are, we are not perfect. But he, Jesus thinks he solved the sin problem. Sins that you've done, sins that you might do today, and sins in the future. He's not afraid of what you and I do. Well, you go, well, why don't we all just sin? Just let's have a party. Let's have... Let's, have, let's, have, let's get a keg and go, go down the street or, or whatever people do that party. I don't even know anymore. And it's like, because, because sin costs you. God, heaven's, heaven's not mad at you for sinning. Except just like when your kid runs into the street with traffic and you go, I am mad as thunder at you because of, it endangers them. Well, God's not mad at anybody. But he doesn't like sin because it hurts us. Sin hurts us. If we live like the world, we're going to have trouble. Turn to Luke, if you would. Luke chapter. Can you all go just a little longer? Luke chapter seven. We love to talk about the love of God. It's so refreshing. It's the one thing that the world doesn't have that we've got that we should tell them about. But instead, the church is telling people, you, you arrogant people, y'all are all going to hell. And we're glad. We're glad you're going to hell for what you're doing. <laughs> That's how they act. They're so self-righteous, so condescending. I hate the religious church. I don't like them. They're liars. If they don't talk about God's love being inside of us and making us winners, I don't, we don't have any use for that. We don't have use for people saying, you're going to hell. You're going to hell. We know when we're going to hell before, G I did. That's why I wanted to get saved, just because I knew. I didn't even need anybody wagging their finger at me. Uh, Luke chapter 7, verse 41. Here's an interesting verse. Uh, verse 41, excuse me. There was a certain creditor that had two debtors. The one owed 500 pence and the other 50. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. The Lord Jesus said this then. He said, tell me, therefore, which of them will love him most? Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most. And he said to him, thou hast rightly judged. Let me read it in the New Living. It's a different translation. Jesus told them this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to the other. But neither of them could repay him. So he kindly forgave them both, canceling them of their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, saying, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, Simon, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust off my feet. But she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss. But from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. This woman was a sinner. 
is what he was. The point is, you neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins and they are many. Have been forgiven. So she has so she has shown me much love. Now, here it is. But a person who is forgiven little shows little love. So the worst sinner we are, the one where we tore everything up on the earth, we, we ripped it out a new one. And just, I mean, we were a hell rider. Y'all know those people? Maybe you were one. In some way, we all were. He said, that's the ones that, that know they need forgiving of much. The further out. So some people say, well, you know, no need me coming to God. I'm too far gone. No, he said, the further gone you are, the more you're going to be glad I came and took away your sin. So uh, freedom comes, true freedom in our heart, peace. People are looking for peace. I'm going to the beach because I need peace. I'm going to the mountains because I need, I need the tranquilities up there. Well, that's just short learned. I mean, that's short experience. As soon as you come back through Chattanooga and hit Alabama line and come down to Tuscaloosa, it's over. Traffic is crazy and the bills are waiting on you and the dog chewed through the fence and bit the kid next door. You know, it's all, all the stuff that's, it was, it's waiting on you. So there's no peace in that. To get peace inside of you, you got to free, be free from the power of sin. It doesn't mean we'll quit sinning. It just means the power of sin to condemn us will be taken out of the way. And I tell you, that feeling is worth anything. Amen. That life is worth anything. Condemnation or guilt or shame is what comes when we do what we're not supposed to do, break the law as it were, and we get that. The only time your heart quits wanting to sin, it doesn't mean we are sin free because we do mess up, but when you want to quit, when you want to quit sinning is when you know and the more you know that God loves me. Amen. Until you know God loves me, you're going to be guilty all the time. You're going to carry a load around that, frankly, you can't carry. That's why people jump off of tall buildings and the bridge and whatever they do to leave this world with a gun or, or whatever. I, I want, let's, if you've got time, let's turn to Romans chapter 2. We're just talking about how much God loves me and you and all of us. Romans chapter 2, verse 4. Well, let's read it in the King Jimmy here, and then we'll see if we can get something easier. Paul is writing this letter to the church at Rome, Romans. He said, and he's in this discourse, he's in this thing, and he said, Or despiseth thou the riches of his goodness? Do you despise the riches of his goodness and the forbearance and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? Now, here's a major doctrinal statement that the world, the unchurched, the, the people that don't know God, where they, this thing straightens things up. Let me, let me read it to you in the Passion. Do you realize that all the wealth of his extravagant kindness is meant to melt your heart and lead you to repentance? 
What does the world say when you mess up that you deserve or, or that should happen? You get punished. Five to 20, 20 to 30, 25 to life, whatever, whatever a sentence is. You do the crime, you do the time. But for some reason, God's not like that. Well, it must be the love of God. He said, when you mess up, and we do mess up. I said, we do mess up. Well, what do we do about it? Well, the Bible says, Romans chapter 2, verse 4 says, that instead of God coming and rising up and saying, I'm fixing to whack some things. I'm fixing to put some things in order. He says, I'm going to bring goodness into your life. What a surprise. What a difference. That instead of punishing us, and we do, we look at other people and say, wow, they're going through it. God must be on their case. I wonder what they did. That's what we, that's what the world says. Wonder what they did, that their, their baby died and he lost his job and their house fell into the river. And, you know, what did they do that God is punishing them? But he says here that God never punishes. He brings goodness, so much goodness that we're not afraid of him and that we'll turn to him saying, I did mess up and I am worthy of punishment, but Jesus took my punishment, my, the reason I'm, the guilt I had for what I did, he took it to the cross. And, and it's like he took it away. Uh, the New Living says this, don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? That just blows people up. They did bad things. Now, now if you kill somebody and they catch you, they're not God. They're going to put you in the pokey. They're going to lock you up if they can. And we're not even mad about that. But it's not God that's mad. Jesus took the price for our sin. I love John 3.16, don't y'all? For God so loved the world. The world. Everybody. The world. Christians, sinners, he loved everybody. He lo God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He gave Jesus. That whosoever should believe on him, should not perish, but have everlasting life. So God loved us up front before we were yet sinners. I have one more scripture, and I just love this scripture. It's in Romans chapter 8. Would you go there with me, Romans chapter 8? This is a good word for all of us. This, you know, we've been talk, talking about the love of God for seven. This is the seventh week. Well, we had Resurrection Day in there, so it's even longer than we thought. Romans chapter 8, verse 31. Paul is talking again. He's in a letter, so we're breaking it. It's like coming into the middle of a movie. But we're just going to pick up in verse 31. What shall we say to these things? And then he says, if God be for us, who can be against us? Now, the only way you can take that into your spirit, into your heart, 
is if you know that God's for me because he loves me. You, he, you, don't, you don't owe him a big bunch of money. Well, I owe God, so he's not going to take me out. God, if God be for us, who can be against us? And here it is, verse 32. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? So if he gave up Jesus, his only begotten son, if he gave up Jesus for us, now he's going to treat us like we're sons. It's like, why wouldn't he pay your bills? Why wouldn't he take the storm out of your life? How, why wouldn't he keep the, the, the thing from falling on your child? Why wouldn't he? Because if he gave Jesus for us to be redeemed, then this is, this is easy. There's no problem here. So if God loved you for that, how can he love you for less? Praise God. Isn't Jesus wonderful? God loves me. God's in love with me right now. Not, not when I get better. Not when I get this all cleaned up. Y'all, Christians have some baggage sometimes. We wish we didn't. We wish we would be mature and spiritual and do what we should, but we don't because there's this body that we're in and this body still likes to mess around. But the inward man wants to please God. My inward man wants to please God. Yeah, I can't even explain it. I just want to. I just want to please my heavenly father. And so I'm always on it, even if I mess up. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today that you do love us. Oh, Lord, you love us. You've proved it over and over. Not by what you did so much, although you've done plenty. But, I, but because of the peace of God that we have in our hearts. We, we just know that something's there that wasn't used to be there. So thank you for loving me right now. Thank you, Lord, for taking care of me right now. Thank you, Lord, that no matter what I do and what trouble I come to, you're going to be there. We thank you for loving us first. We love you because you loved us first. We, we couldn't even love you. So thank you, Lord, for loving us. And we give you thanks that everything is turning out amazing. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. amen.